how many here would classify themselves as maybe an art critic or at least interested in art? Okay, so I'm going to throw a few pictures up, see if you can identify these paintings. So we go the, the next slide, Tony. So on the left we have the, oh, we've got the stream at the top, yep. We've got the mono Lisa and anyone work out what the bottom one is? What was that? It is a Monet. No, it's not. If you get it right, you get to line up first for morning tea. That's the best voucher I can hand out at the moment. So it's a picture, yep. It is a Monet. Uh, oh, yeah, well, that's the sun, the red. So, yeah, a little bit. It's, it's actually two words, impression, sunrise. Now, the reason I picked those three photos or, or paintings, they're all famous paintings, they're all quite valuable, um, but they've actually got something else that they've also got in common. All three of these um, paintings have all been stolen. So, um, Mona Lisa was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century, and in 1911, a museum worker walked out of the Louvre with the Mona Lisa under a smock. He later expressed that he thought the masterpiece belonged in Italy instead of France, and two years later the thief was caught trying to sell the painting. The screen by Edvard Munch was painted in the early 1900s. In 2004, it was ripped off a museum wall by armed robbers, and fortunately it was recovered and restored. Impression Sunrise was painted by Claude Monet in the 1800s, and in 1985, armed robbers stormed the Montmartre Museum in Paris and took the painting. And it was recovered by the French police five years later. So, um, but in the same way, Christmas and the season around it is something of great value. And yet something it is, sometimes it is often stolen from us. And so I want to look at this idea of stealing the season and how we can get... Christmas back into its right place. See, the point of Christmas, after all, is that God came to dwell with us. The thing is, we talk about God with us, we talk about God in our hearts, we talk about Jesus knowing, being with us all the time, but sometimes I think it's a very, it's a ho-hum response we have to it. Oh yeah, that's good that God is with us all the time. Um, sometimes we go, I wish God wasn't with me when I did that thing, because I didn't really want him to see that. I didn't want him to hear what I said. I didn't want him to know what I was thinking right then. But, like, we kind of, the fact that the, the God of this universe wants to be with us and actually entered our history to be with us so we can be in relationship with it doesn't wow us as much as, much as it should at times. Um, but in John, um, so basically, he came to dwell with us so that we could dwell with him forever. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. God came so that he could grow up, die on a cross, so that we could be forgiven our sins and enter into heaven pure and redeemed. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. In John 1, 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it picks up in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He lived with us. He was with us. When you think of the enormity of God and the complexity of his creation and the majesty of his glory, this effort for our salvation is, should be beyond our comprehension. Why would God go to such lengths to restore us to himself? That's what he's done. He's actually gone to great lengths and effort 
to make sure that we're okay being in his presence again. The answer, of course, is found in his nature. It's found in one word God used to describe himself in 1 John 4.8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so with Christmas nearly upon us, I wanted to help us preserve and protect the real treasure and meaning of the season by looking at the account of the Magi. In the short account in Matthew 2, centered on the Magi's worship of Jesus, we see three very different responses to this wonderful event. King Herod, the teachers of the law, and the Magi all take a different approach to the events of Jesus' birth. And the meaning and the power of the event are lost and stolen for Herod and the Pharisees, but the Magi's approach of worship is the proper response to what God did that night. When we consider that night was the culmination of thousands of years of prophecy, when we consider that God went to these great lengths for you, when we remember that Jesus did indeed save us from our sins, what else can we do except worship God? If we follow the Magi's example, we'll, follow, we'll find that the power and wonder and many of Christmas will not be wasted on us or stolen from us. So, enter the wise men. The wise men come into the story in Matthew um, 2. And if you've heard the account of the Magi or the wise men um, many times, the images in your mind may not always line up with what's in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 2, 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So it doesn't actually specifically say where, but we've got a good uh, assumption of where they came from. Um, the expositors and Bible commentary tells us in later centuries uh, down to uh, New Testament times, the term Magi loosely covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic, books um, thought to contain mysterious references to the future and the like. Most likely they were scholars and astrologers who had some working knowledge of and belief in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, but perhaps they were connected with the Hebrews who were deported or lived in the east. And it was a good, it's a good assumption to place that a lot of the uh, writings of Daniel would have been what they based um, their uh, information upon. Um, we know where they came. Uh, we know where they came from the east, and it was probably somewhere like Babylon again, where uh, Daniel had spent a good amount of time. Um, and but the most amazing thing about the Magi's in the short account is that these non-Jewish foreigners with questionable religious practices were gazing at the uh, who were gazing at the stars were the only ones who responded appropriately to Jesus's birth. They were people that may not have had the, the correct religious upbringing. They were people that may have had incorrect knowledge, yet they were the only ones who truly worshipped Jesus. It serves as a stark reminder for, for those of us who are in the church and consider ourselves followers of Jesus. Are we like the Magi, focusing on our worship and our adoration and gifts for the King? Or are we so familiar with the story that our wonder has been lost or stolen. While we might expect those outside the faith to miss the real meaning of Christmas, will we make certain our hearts stay focused on what this holiday means? It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? When we actually think that oh, those people out there don't truly understand what Christmas is, but at times we who have the truth in front of us miss it just as much. Maybe we are like the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, they should know better. And at times we should know better. 
Um, a little later, we'll look at a little bit more of the Magi's response. But before we do, let's consider another response we see in Matthew 2, 4 and 5. Um, so this is Herod, um, when he had, heard, had called together all um, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. After encountering the Magi, Herod um, called the chief priests and teachers of the law together and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They shared the answer by quoting the prophet Micah, who pointed to Bethlehem about 700 years before Jesus was born there. But we never hear another thing about them again in, that, in this passage. The priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they don't do anything with the information. This is really interesting. The, the, these, these men have just heard the Messiah had been born and so they look at scriptures and in response, the ones who have dedicated their lives to God and the scriptures, the ones who make their living from teaching about God's law and his prophecies about the Messiah do absolutely nothing. You think they would have been going, oh, we missed it, but let's get really excited about it as well. You think they would have actually sort of been really embarrassed about the fact that they missed that Jesus had been born. But no, nothing. We don't hear anything more about him at all. They don't investigate. They don't search him out. They say he's probably over that way somewhere. That's all that they really do in the passage. Imagine that you are... Anyone ever been... one? Like, again, this would be going back because none of our young people would be a, a, a president of a fan club of someone famous. But maybe some of you adults were maybe a member like... Um, if we go back real... Anyone ever sort of chased the Beatles around anywhere? Like, no one did that. Like, um, um, anyone, I'm trying to think, go back down, next generation down. Like, um, anyone, like, uh, sort of been chased Justin Bieber around or anything like that, Mick? Like, maybe that was you, like, um, uh, this last week. Um, but the thing is, like, imagine you're the president of a fan club of a famous band and you hear that they're coming to a place near where you are. The thing is, if you're a president of a fan club, if they were coming to Sydney and you lived in Rockhampton, you go, I'm going to get down there and see them. I'm going to let everyone know about it. I'm going to do something about it. There'd be an excitement. And, and, and again, you watch those videos of, of the people who are lining up to see the Beatles and all these other famous people throughout history. They are fanatic cool. They're not just fans. They are screaming. They are, they're going that touch crazy for people that play music. Now, that same context, priests, Pharisees, teachers of the law, have been waiting for the Messiah, the sent one of God, the anointed one, the one who was going to save them. And their response is, they were basically the president of that fan club. Their response is to do nothing. Instead of rallying the people to say, let's go see the newborn king. Instead of getting all their own, all the priests to go down and, and march down there with the temple guard and, and, and announce that the king had been born. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. From what I can gather about the Pharisees, I think they were most excited about the fact that they were able to study search and give a correct answer rather than meeting and knowing the Messiah themselves. I think that can be us at times. We're happy to have the right answer about God. Um, the right answer, and, and the thing is, you know what? The right answer does not comfort us in a difficult situation. 
the right relationship will. And I've met people that cannot give you the right answer, but they have the right relationship with God. And they'll face a trial where they cannot explain it. They can't sort of go, well, yeah, God is going to be there. for." They can't, but they just know that God is there with them. And a friend of mine years ago had a, a major accident. Because of that, his short-term memory was, was terrible. I get the same church, question at church every Sunday. Um, he couldn't remember. Sometimes I get it twice on a Sunday because he just couldn't remember that he'd asked it. But he would say, I know every time I drive in my car, God is there with me. And he faced life and all its challenges in the same way, just simple faith, but he knows that God is there with him. He'd never be a Bible teacher. He'd never be able to explain things, probably because he'd forget them, like he'd forget what he needed to explain. But he knew the Messiah. Now, just from today, you you now probably know more about the Magi than 80% of the population. But don't let your knowledge and familiarity with the events of Christmas steal away your wonder. It is important to learn about God. It's essential to study his word and his commands. But don't make the mistake the teachers and priests made where they put the knowing about God above knowing God. Jesus didn't say, I know my sheep and my sheep know about me. It doesn't actually say that. In John 10, 14, it says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. God reveals himself through his word, but the whole point is to draw close to him in order to know him more and to become more like him in his love. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. God showed up on Christmas so that we can know him and have relationship with him. You know what? Jesus didn't show up with a textbook for us to study. He, he didn't hand those out. People came to see Jesus. Here's a textbook. Take this home. Get all the answers right and then you can follow me. No, no. Everyone who engaged with Jesus, they came to meet the person of Jesus. As Jesus grew up, they came and engaged with the person of Jesus. Don't let our familiarity with the story or your focus on new knowledge steal the treasure of Christmas from your heart. So that's the Pharisees. The third response, well, the second response, because the the Magi came to worship, the Pharisees basically were not excited about anything at all. They kind of blew their opportunity. But then we're going to look at Herod, Herod the hater. Um, Let's have a look at at his response. Um, In Matthew 2, we learn um, that when the King Herod heard that the Magi had come to worship, the one who had been born King of the Jews, he was disturbed. And if you listen when Tony read... All of Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, Jerusalem wasn't disturbed because they were disturbed by the news. They were disturbed that King Herod knew and he was disturbed because he was likely to do something nuts. He'd done it before. Uh, History tells us he killed his own two sons because he was jealous of and threatened by their power. So any kids complaining about their mums and dads today, you you get off lucky, okay? Um, You don't want Herod for a dad. Um, true to form, Herod pretended that he wanted to worship Jesus, but we see later in the chapter that his plan was to kill the Messiah. Herod's response to Christmas is an extreme example of self-preservation and fighting for the status quo, the exact, the exact opposite of worship of the Magi. Herod treats the news of Christmas in the same way he responds to any threats of his power. He tries to eliminate it. 
He even feigns interest in worship so he can maneuver for an upper hand. While few of us would actively fight against the Messiah, there is a little Herod in most of us that we need to guard against. It's, it's the part of us that takes from the glory of Jesus in this season by putting our traditions above our worship. It's the part of us that elevates our expectations above the needs of others. Whenever we demand that things go our way in the holiday above what God might be doing or what others need, we make a similar mistake to the one that King Herod made on that first Christmas. Now, I, I love Christmas traditions. I love doing things with my family. But we all need to allow God to adjust our plans however he'd like. Everyone here would like, I, I think most people would sort of begrudgingly agree with me. Does God get to say what we do? Like, does God have the final say in what we do? Who would say they agree? Okay, so some people are nodding, some people are leaving a hand up, some people are, are non-committal because they, they know where I'm going to go with this. Because sometimes God says, I don't want you to do that thing that you really want to do. And we, but then we don't try and debate with God. We try and negotiate with God, or then we try and ignore God. God, sorry, I didn't quite hear what you said. Do this and I'll come back. Um, and we, we, we treat God with the idea that, oh, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. But the thing is, we need to come to the point where if God is the one we are truly worshipping, he gets the final say. Um. Herod was so concerned with keeping control that he not only missed the greatest blessing in history, he fought directly against us. And again, we're probably nowhere near the extremes of Herod, but if we take on even a little bit of that attitude where we fight against receiving what God has given for us, to us because we want what we want. And that's ultimately what Herod had. He wanted what he wanted. He was being selfish. He just had an army behind him which kind of a little bit worse. We don't have an army behind us, but those selfish attitudes can creep into our life. And we do not want to be carrying the attitudes of Herod the hater in our lives at Christmas time. Or as we look at focus at the Magi again, we actually see the the wise example that they they show us. As we consider our preparation to Christmas, um, when when they saw the child with his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Now again, these were important men. You can see their importance because of even the wealth that they brought with them. And so, how many wise men were there? Well, there was probably more than one because there's plural. But there could have been two up to many because we we sort of, the idea of three comes from the three gifts that were given. But again, there could have been multiple lots of gold, multiple lots of myrrh, multiple um, lots of, uh, what's the third gift? Frankincense. Um, so it could be multiple lots of that or big lots of that that were gifted by um, the wise men that came. Now, again, if they were important men, they probably had an armed guard with them. They were not travelling alone. So these, this crowd of important people rocks up to most likely in ha- a house because by this time, Mary had had the baby. She was no longer in the manger. Probably a different um, and so she'd got out of hospital basically and, and gone into a home. And so the, the wise men show up and the first thing they do, they don't sort of, sort of go talk about their importance. Hi, my name is and I come from and look at what I've brought. What do they do? They bow down and they worship. They bow down and kneel before this baby. This baby, and still it wouldn't have been a great sort of accommodation and yet they've come in and in all their wealth, have thrown it aside and bowed down to worship. 
If we want to guard the meaning and the wonder of Christmas, I suggest that we start with worship. There's nothing that centers our hearts and minds on what really matters like worship. We don't worship a God because he's in need of it. We worship God because we are in need of it. Do you realize that? We worship not because God needs that from us, but because we need it. It does so much for, for us. Giving him praise, his due, reminds us of who he really is. Our worship fuels and feeds our gratitude. Our worship brings us back to the grandeur and the grace and the greatness of God. When we worship, we experience a deeper connection with God and fall deeper in love with him. We can plainly see that the teachers of the law should have known better. They knew about God, but they didn't seek to know him personally. They didn't seek to worship him. Now, when I say worship, I'm not talking about the, the wise men did not break out in song and, and they didn't have a guitarist that was along to, to play along and just so they could sing a few songs to Jesus. They actually honoured him. And, and that's what worship truly is, is. It's adoring, it's having an object that we adore. Now, again, we adore so many other things. We can worship so many other things. We have a, a wallet or a bank card that's full of money and we adore that over and above or we have a new car that we can adore over and above Jesus or we can have an important job that we adore over and above Jesus or we have significance in our, in our, our circle of, of influence we go, I adore that over and above Jesus but when we truly worship Jesus we adore him and we, we actually honour him above all other things and we worship through song but we worship also through the way that we live and we obey God we can easily tell that Herod chose the wrong thing. But how ironic that as Herod tried to prop up his greatness, he chose the lesser thing. His own power could never match the power of God. His own place and position could never compare with the presence of God. And the Magi show us the way to make the most of Christmas is through worship. There are hundreds of passages in the Bible that have the word worship in them. The, the common thing runs throughout the majority of the idea is that giving preference to God and laying what we have and who we are before him. The Magi worshipped through their gifts and their offering. The shepherds worshipped through their proclaiming the news. The angels worshipped through song. Mary worshipped by pondering on all the amazing events in her heart. If we do anything this Christmas, let's remember what God has done and give God his due. He is worthy of worship. And like the Magi, you can choose whatever form of worship best fits the occasion. The Magi had precious metal and spices. They gave God what they had. What do you have to give to Jesus this Christmas? The beauty of worship is that it can be done in so many ways, through song, through prayer, through gathering and through fellowship, through celebration and even through service or even your job. If your kids... Um, if you have kids whose eyes fill up with the light of Christmas morning, I hope you see that as an opportunity to thank God and quietly worship him for, for giving you family. As you share meals, I hope you begin in gratitude for his provision. If you face disappointment or heartache, I hope you find a way to identify the ultimate reason for Jesus, the cross of Jesus. As you raise a toast or come to church or pray that your heads, that your heads bows as, as you pray, um, your head bows to the mighty creator and your hearts lift in joy because of all that he has done for us. Now the Magi worshipped the king. It was not because they were supposed to or because he required it. It's because their heart demanded it. They encountered the word who had become flesh, God, with us and they were never the same again. 
all the more as Christmas nears, let's, let's seek God and give him the worship and praise he rightly deserves. May he meet you in your gift and may you find him like all wise men and women do. Will you just join me in prayer this morning? Father, I just thank you that the word has become flesh and that you have dwelt among us. Feel the areas of our lives that reflect the heart of and remove them from us. Please protect us from the familiarity with you and your word that circumvents our hearts. Give us hearts like the wise men who sought you and worshipped you when they found you. Be present in our Christmas this week and even on Christmas Day and be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name.